This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Learn more at PacificOffice.com. J.J. Watt in the backfield. J.J. Watt, baby. Connor to the 10, to the 5, and into the end zone for the touchdown. Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Touchdown, Tyler Murray. That defender is in multiple pieces. Oh, that was nasty right there, right? The latest news and notes from the insiders who cover the team. Drilled by Simmons. Isaiah Simmons is balling. Bring it on, bring it on. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. I ain't scared of nobody. Here's Paul Calvisi. So apparently, as we've just learned, breaking news here on Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, there's the final score, and then there was a final score to settle, according to DJ Humphreys on behalf of teammate Justin Pugh. Hmm, what would that be all about? Danny Sarek, Darren Urban, yours truly, Pauly Podcast. And you know what? It sort of makes sense because as the sideline pencil neck who goes up and down that sideline, there was one vocal, snarky, heckling fan who wouldn't shut up the entirety of their game until Byron Murphy shut him up with a 59-yard fumble return for score. And then Justin Pugh went over for his own little punctuation and rub it in a little bit, buddy. At least that was according to uh, DJ Humphreys, Danny. That's what we found out. Yeah, the press conference that Humphreys had uh, this week, he talked about how everyone was going one way towards Byron Murphy to celebrate, and Justin Pugh ran past him the other way, and he's thinking, where are you going? And then he realized <laughs> Pugh was going to basically shut up that heckler, yes. and he's like, oh, okay, that makes sense, that makes sense. And yeah. when it was asked to Humphreys, can you let us know what Justin Pugh said to the fan? He said, yeah, you guys don't have enough bleeps for that. It's a, it's a family podcast as well. Although I can confirm the guy was very vocal and most of it was directed at the O-line because he was on that on end of the sideline and uh, most of it was about what Max Crosby and Chandler Jones were going to do, were doing, eventually would inflict upon the Cardinals offensive line, which, oh, I don't know, uh, ran 59 plays in the second half and overtime. So that guy uh, got shut up in more ways than one. Uh, again, as as DJ said, uh, when somebody was asking about how he did against Chandler Jones, he goes, ultimately, it didn't really matter because the ultimate trump card is whatever it says on the scoreboard. And if he had had a great day and the Raiders had won the game, that's what Chandler should have done to him. And, and certainly it was vice versa. And um, look, there is no better feeling than to, I'm sure as a player, than to go over and do whatever, say whatever yep. to a fan who's been on your case. I you know, having been and you've been down there obviously all the time, Paul, but you know, I, I, I've been down especially uh in Seattle a couple times when that place is going crazy and then the Cardinals make a game winning play and the just the air getting sucked out. That's that's a very satisfying feeling for somebody who would be on the visiting team, I would think. That Raider fan is very lucky Tyron Matthew is no longer a member of the Arizona Cardinals because he would mix it up with the fans. That was the, remember the game where, and it was similar to this game actually, at Cleveland, 14 or 15, a lackluster, miserable first half by the Arizona Cardinals. And the Browns were not good. But they always sell out the stadium, and the fans were vocal. And as the Browns got the lead, they got even more vocal, and they started yelling at the Cardinals' defense. And, of course, the Cardinals came back and won at the very end, and there's Tyron Matthew. And I think NFL Films caught it, him just yelling at all the Browns fans, something along the lines of, y'all didn't really think you were going to win now, did you? And he's just going up and yeah. down. So, uh, By the way, speaking of fans, we might as well get it out of the way. Can I say that um, the Raider fan uh, actually hit Kyler harder than Max Crosby or Chandler Jones? Or maybe there's a line in there that the Raider fan actually hit Kyler more than Chandler Jones in the game. What about the Paul Calvisi fans? Were you not going to bring that up, Paul? Oh, no. Paul Danny and I, was I, I had heard some things. Paul and I were, I think, no, the last you didn't, two Darren, people. Stop it. I, I think we were the last two people to walk off the field into the tunnel from our group after Kyler Murray being the last player out there, Paul. And I don't think you realized I was behind you. And that's where a lot of the Cardinals fans were, obviously, yeah. over that tunnel. 
And these fans just start yelling, Paul, Paul, we love you, Paul. You're so great, Paul. Keep it up. No, we love they, you. No, that's not what they and said. And I, yes, no. yes, Paul, you had the, fans. Polly's Posse, no. that's what they have been dubbed. Oh, okay. Polly's Posse. We don't have enough bleeps what they were yeah, really yelling. Exactly. No, the I, operative word in there was last. We were the last people off the field, and there was no one left to cheer and or say anything to. So, And they still had energy after that win. So, you know... It was just by default it happened. Humble Paul. No, by the way, I never I'm gonna, thought I'd see it. I'm going to tell another story from the sideline involving DJ Humphreys a little bit later in this edition of Cardinals Underground. So that's what you call a vertical tease in the in the business, I believe. But there they were snatching. <laughs> I believe. I believe that's what I've been told. I, I, I try not to be the producer around here. Uh, snatching victory from the jaws of defeat. Uh, and possibly saving the season is this one bullet point and our own little game plan over there. Uh, what do you think, Danny? Is the word possibly saving the season, is that even needed? Or did that win just save the season? I think to a certain extent it did. And not just the way physically Kyler Murray took over the game and he talked about, you know, I, I just had to take over. Not just physically, but mentally. That was something I talked about last week on the podcast was – the Kansas City game got away from this team. Mentally, they knew they were out of it. We heard that. How can this team mentally, when they are down this season, stay in it, believe in themselves, make the necessary adjustments, come back and win a game? And that's what they did. And that's why I think this win is so important when you look at how it can affect the rest of the season. Not just winning on the road, which they did eight times last year, but the way that they came back, a 20-point deficit. Zero points on the board in the first half. And to come back and win the game because you believe in yourself and you believe in your teammates and you stick to the fundamentals, that's what allowed them to win this game. And that's why I think this can affect the rest of the season. So you think it goes beyond just the win itself and, and the fact you avoid the 0-2 record, which we all know everybody now, only 11% of the teams that start 0-2 make the postseason and not a single team over the last three years that has started 0-2 has made the playoffs. So you think it goes beyond just that? Yeah, beyond, I do. This, beyond the standings. Yeah, I do. And I think we saw last year, I mean, it was mostly at home, but when that when this team was losing and they were unable to get out of it, they struggled to whether that was focus or whatever. They're going to talk about the skid they had at the end of last year. They were unable to really regroup from those losses. And so I think to have this type of win when you were down and you were playing so poorly, I think mentally is important for the long run. I, I would agree, but almost for the flip side is less about how you ended up winning, but the fact that if, let's say you had lost that game 30-10, to 10, I mean, to start the season with a couple of losses like that would have been, I mean, if they had played the second half like they played the first half, even if the Raiders did let up on the gas a little, I mean, what, what are you looking at, especially about when you're about to play the Super Bowl champions? I mean, that I think that was crucial because – they can talk all they want about we believe each other uh, with each other in this room and everything. And I, I believe that. And I do think that there is something to that why they came back. But on the flip side, if they had lost and gotten blown out again, I mean, they're all human. That's the bottom line. And I do believe that every team must have that belief in itself. They, they have to look around and know that they have the players and the parts to win, that they have the coaching staff to win. I, and quite honestly, if we're in the trust tree here on this edition of Cardinals Underground, you know, I, uh, I would say that the team looked around in week one against Mahomes. And after KC went down the field with three touchdown drives in the first three possessions, and they said, <laughs> not happening today, not against that quarterback, not with the state of our defense when we can't even get lined up correctly. Um, and, and, and you saw that the green dot changed out. So just like you have to believe in your quarterback being capable of beating the other team, you, you have to believe in the quarterback of your defense as well. And I think that was missing in week one in, in a lot of ways. And even yeah. Nick Vigil said it. If you're not lined up correctly, you have no chance. It's already tough enough to play defense in this league. So now it's not to say they weren't still sloppy and there were a dozen penalties and there were still issues with timeouts needed because the play clock was winding down. I mean, there's a lot of still the Cardinals' biggest opponent on the schedule so far has been the Arizona Cardinals. There, there's no doubt about that. They need to clean some of that stuff up. But um, I, I think there was something else that they discovered in this game, and it's that the quarterback was willing to do anything and everything needed to win that game, including putting himself and his own well-being on the line. I do agree that him running – 
which we all know he does not like to do, uh, was a major impact in that second half. And, and it's something, quite frankly, he's he's got to do. I mean, they've got to have that aspect of the offense, in my opinion, or they don't have much of a chance. And now, I don't know if you're going to say he's putting him, himself on the line merely by doing it, which is not unfair, but I don't think he was in any positions, poor positions, the way it was turning out the other day. I mean, I, I thought he had more chance of getting hurt when he was back in the pocket and potentially getting sacked on a couple of those plays rather than when he ended up, was actually running. But I will say that, like I said, ultimately this offense really is only going to click if the defense is afraid of Colin Murray. There was a, there was a tweet by a, a writer, a, a Raiders writer, that I noticed early in the game or late in the first half, and uh, it was something like Kyler Murray has not had a rushing attempt yet or they haven't done a rushing play or something like that, and he, he basically said, and the, and the Raiders will take that all day long. And, and the, I think that's true. I, I, think, I think you're helping the other team if you're the Cardinals and Kyler Murray isn't some kind of run threat. That's just how I feel about it. I think especially in these first six weeks without DeAndre Hopkins, you're still without Antoine Wesley, you're still without Rondale Moore. I mean, you're right, you have to find a way to adjust to that, and maybe it is moving forward having Kyler use his legs, especially when James Conner is right now day-to-day with an ankle injury. Yeah, I mean, if you ask the opposing coaches and especially defensive coordinators, what do they fear the most? They fear Kyler getting loose with his legs. They fear their defense having their back to the line of scrimmage and Kyler seeing it and making a defense pay. Here come the Rams this week. We all remember third and 16 in L.A. Week four last year when the Cardinals got that big win and they jack-stomped the Rams and they snapped that streak against Sean McVay and that third and 16 where Kyler ran for 17 and it was a backbreaker and it just deflated and demoralized that Rams defense. And you saw it again out there. I said it on the air. We were filling a little bit of time. There was an injury timeout or maybe, and and it was after the Cardinals had closed at 23-15 and just the enthusiasm and the energy on that sideline it reminded me of the Cardinals team that started 7-0, 10-2. It just had that edge back. It just did. And for whatever reason, whether it was they saw Kyler doing everything, because when Kyler left the season finale, speaking of the Rams in 2020, when he left that 2020 season finale at L.A. with the playoffs hanging in the balance, and he left with what, the ankle injury, Darren? Yeah. And it was real nebulous and mysterious, and he didn't come back for the majority of the game. Yeah. And you know, they just that there was nobody in the building either, Paul. It was no, very weird. It was very weird. And there's Larry Fitzgerald walking off a field for the last time in his career in sweats. He yeah, didn't even was... play the whole thing. It was just bad. For multiple, it was wow, multiple you just choice. Had to bring up that bad. kind of horrible memory. But right what there. I'm saying is, there was that lingering question about the quarterback and 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 just yeah. the status. And you know what? That was erased here in week two definitively that okay when Max Crosby comes in and clamps down on Kyler in that fourth and three that was eventually negated by a flag but when Kyler got away from Max Crosby when he had him in that bear hug and he just wrestled himself away like that boom and I mean that that got everyone's attention on the sideline wow like that's a physical Kyler Murray right there and I, I just thought it was next level and it was it just did something and put extra win in the in the team's sails. I I agree with that. It, you know, it would be a fascinating. Of course, you'd actually have to have Kyler, you know, work with you on it, uh, which he probably doesn't want to get this deep into it. And he probably doesn't really see himself as that much different than he was three four years ago. But I I'd be fascinated to know you know where this potentially comes from. Is it is it just a maturity level? Is it being in the league for four years? Is it the fact that he did get a giant contract, and his way of responding to that is, okay, you gave me the respect that I was looking for, so now I know I've got to man up and do X, Y, and Z. I, it could be all of those things. It could be one of those things. I do know that there is very little right now, Danny, that I do not like about Kyler Murray. And, and it, it's funny. I was talking to somebody the other day um, and talking about um, Kyler's numbers. And I had brought it up to Cliff after the game, too. And, you know, those stats aren't going to win him any MVPs. He had a 70-some passer rating, under 300 yards passing, I think. Yes. Uh, One touchdown, one interception. Only ran for 28 yards. But that is specifically why people hate doing raw stats, is because if you watch that game, everybody knew who the best player was on on the field. And 
Kyler Murray's play was way better than any statistical measurement. Yeah, absolutely. The way he kept his team in the game, and again, in that second half, really mostly just that fourth quarter, turned things around. We talked about even in week one, you know, the team played poorly, but Kyler Murray himself did not have a horrible performance. And I think on your point of what has been the catalyst of this change, I think it is a little bit of everything, of the maturity and figuring out how he wants to be a leader and leading by example before he starts telling grown men what to do, which is what he has said. But I think the main one is you get paid. You have that security. You know that this team, this front office believes in you. So you have that confidence. Yeah. And all. Like I, I think that is the biggest part of all of this is now he knows he is the guy. He's going to be here. And now it's his time to take over in, in the way that he thinks is you know his, his way to do it. It's funny because I think Steve Kimes said it on uh, Arizona Sports last week too. It was like, kind of like the whole like, hey, he knows he's the – the face of the franchise that was made clear when he was given the money and and i you know again paul i don't i don't have a problem with this i'm you know i'm not talking about you know study clauses or anything like that but just in general like you know you don't and this this goes for anybody if you get a promotion at work and you get a big raise you don't get to keep being what you were you know you're being you're the the your employer is doing that because they're expecting even more out of you what they see what what you've shown so far but once you get that money you don't have an excuse anymore you better produce more whether you're a content provider or you're a quarterback i mean or or anything and i i think ultimately i I think kyler has embraced that and i think that's a great thing for this team well there was a question after the game where they said uh what was the difference between the first half and the second half the first half he ran a measly 19 plays for a paltry 86 yards and and kyler said at some point enough is enough that smacked of someone in charge yeah and and then later when they you know asked about his mindset to your point Danny he he literally said I had to take over I had to do whatever it took to win and so those numbers you cited Darren thirty one of forty nine two seventy seven a touchdown a pick passer rating of seventy six point seven you know one sack you know yawn okay you know you're hoping probably you didn't have to throw it forty nine times in the game but you did and he did whatever it took to win and how many do or die plays were there fourth and whatever and and you had to convert or the drive was dead the possession was dead the game was going to be over so for all of that and and more you had a Cardinals team that when trailing by at least 20 points at half here's the stat had been 0-88 and 1 so when you talk about Kyler as a singular quarterback and things he's able to do you know, Kyle Vandenbosch told a pretty good story on the Red Sea Report when he was with Tennessee and Vince Young was a rookie quarterback. Now, Vince Young didn't amount to much in the NFL, but he had a few moments. Yeah. And the coaches told him, look, this kid is something special. There's something super extra about this kid as a quarterback. Keep fighting as a defense because you never know what the quarterback's capable of. And there was a game where he said they were down three or four scores and Vince Young let them all the way back, just raw talent, and they won that game. So I think that's another lesson learned by a defense that you're down 20 to nothing. The offense is getting shut out. Oh, boy, the offense doesn't have it today. But what does the defense do? They come out in the second half and they nearly pitch a shutout. They only give up three points because they know that at some point he might get hot. It was I grew up on Joe Montana. There were a lot of games where Joe Montana wasn't very much through the first three quarters. But then Joe Cool turned it on in the fourth quarter and he pulled out a win. It's, it's funny you bring that up. Now, I will say this. Um, I, I think defensively um, – I think this team, after six quarters, I, I think they needed to do something regardless, quite frankly, of whether Kyler and the offense was going to get it together. I think the defense needed to get their stuff together just on general principle. But I will say that I understand the concept of, you know, hey, let's keep the door open because we've got a guy that can make things happen. But, yeah, make no mistake, I, the way the defense played the first half after the way they played the first game – um, you know, if they're doing anything, if they're if they're accomplishing things for any other reason at that point than to show that they're you know they're not bad, then then maybe we gotta reevaluate priorities. And Derek Carr only had 42 passing yards in the second half on third down. The Raiders went one of five. Devonte Adams had two catches. I mean, for I mean, 
there was such exuberance after the game and my first interview was Byron Murphy Jr. on air and we went through everything and the fumble return and the insanity and he walked away it was sort of like that old and you uh, blew it didn't you Paul and I didn't even ask him about holding Devontae Adams to only two guys now I did remember in time for, for Cliff Kingsbury okay. he was, so we, we got to but I'm like Paul's possibly happy what are you doing And because we, we were caught up on the moment I didn't even ask him about the whole Devontae Adams thing. a lot to talk thing. about. But, you know, it's interesting. A number of people in the locker room told me that he did travel with Devontae Adams almost the entirety of the game and shut him down. But then Cliff Kingsbury said a couple of times, no, it was a mix of uh, Byron Murphy one-on-one against Devontae Adams and some other coverages, Bracketing, you know, yeah. zone looks, etc. So either way, Devontae Adams, non-factor, it, really. And, and that that is saying something about based on what he did in week one. And that, to me, Danny, is a gift that keeps on giving. If you have a defense that's looking for its identity, if they really do have a true number one cover corner and a Byron Murphy, and he can do that on a consistent basis, and Vance Joseph can start every week like he used to with a Pat P in his prime and say, okay, their number one receiver is going to get our number one corner, check, I don't have to worry about that. that that's a huge luxury if you're a DC. Yeah, early on, I don't have the numbers in front of me. Derek Carr hit a lot of receivers, um, and there were a few, I think, 50-plus receiving yards for, I think, one or two of his receivers, but the main goal was to shut down Devontae Adams, and that's what they did. And to some extent, you know that other players are still capable. They're still good. They're still playing in the league. They're still starting on that roster. So you know that you're going to give up a few yards. So to me, if that's what's going to happen, that's okay if that means you're shutting down Devontae Adams, who had 141 yards in his Raiders debut and, and a touchdown, and I think like statistically had the second-best Raiders debut by a receiver like in franchise history or something crazy. So huh. to be able to shut him down, I think bodes well for this team, for this defense, for that secondary. And while all players are different and Cooper Cup has a different skill set, you hope that you can carry that into this week going up against the receiver who had that triple crown last year. Yeah. Cooper Cup. We'll get to him in a little bit. We'll get to the Rams. <laughs> what else about the Cardinals defense did we like out there? Definitely like seeing, you know, what ninety one what ninety nine was to the Cardinals D line? Uh, how about Justin Pugh was to the Cardinals O line? Right, uh, it just solidified both sides of the line, and and, and Justin Pugh out there with DJ Humphreys uh, against Chandler Jones for the most part. They did flip sides a few times here and there, but here's my story from the sideline. You ready for this? You guys remember when DJ Humphreys went to the sideline with that? momentarily momentarily that that knee injury yes. just right okay so he comes off the field only missed one play though he did here's a big reason why a trusted source tells me that when he was down uh, on the field for a moment or two and the trainers came out he got up and he started making his way off the field and Chandler yelled at the quarterback hey Kyler you better hope he comes back I was thinking the same thing up in the press box <laughs> so Chandler voiced what everyone was thinking and wow. DJ heard that and apparently was none too happy because he did get to the sideline and he had him take a look at it. And then he sort of, I was right behind him and he waved off the trainers and he ran right back in. And played a great game. He did play a great game. And you know what? I think I don't have the film. I don't break it down. Just what I, I don't know how much you guys are watching that matchup. I tried to watch it yeah. quite a bit, but I think Cliff Kingsbury was sandbagging with that that anecdote to the media yeah, midweek I agree where he said I texted Chandler Jones and I apologized in advance hey don't hold it against me when I chip you every single play I don't because that was, didn't happen he was saying he sandbanging Chandler because I saw Chandler's yes. quotes and Chandler confirmed that that was what Cliff said to him <laughs> um but That's yeah good move. I, I thought most of the time when I was paying attention it was hump one-on-one and you know what I, I said this on the radio that morning look you're paying DJ Humphreys like an elite left tackle. He better be able to handle Chandler Jones one on one. What's he at now? Like eighteen a year? Yeah, and and especially when, you know, with all due respect to Kelvin Beecham, if you've got a Max Crosby on the other side, if I'm going to chip one side, that's who I want to help because Hump should be able to be the guy that's handling things, and I think he did. And I don't. Again, I'm the same way. There was a lot of stuff going on. I don't remember Chandler Jones really affecting that game at all. No. No, the I, one time I I noticed him, the one time, was when uh, Kyler ran around for the two point play, and he was one of the guys on that sideline because he had dropped into coverage. He was one of the guys dropped into coverage, and Kyler made the beeline for the edge of the end zone, and Chandler was trying to get over there, and he had no chance. Most of the Raiders didn't, but I mean, 
that's the one time. And so I, I feel like the Cardinals came away. Now, Max Crosby played pretty well, yes, I thought. Yes, he did. So once again, the, the Raider fan after the game hit Kyler about as often as 55. Now, Max Crosby was the guy who got a lot of chip blocks, Daryl Williams in particular. Yeah. I mean, if Max Crosby got up Monday mornings and started taking Daryl Williams' name in vain because his ribs were injured and he's, he's, he's doubled over and he can't get out of bed, I would not be surprised because Daryl Williams, 24, was just a wrecking ball. He had a good game. He did. He, I mean, I mean, even like when he plowed in on the one-yard touchdown run and it wasn't even close, he powered in. I mean, some of the guys on the sidelines kind of looked at each other like, okay, yeah. here we go. Yeah. He, he's a physical dude. Yeah, he is. So we'll, we'll see. And look, if you could do one thing against the Rams, it's do what you did in week four a year ago. That would be nice. When it? you ran for over 200 yards on 40 carries and you blew out the Rams in their home field and James Conner and Chase Edmonds were a dynamic duo. I think, I think Daryl Williams played really well, Danny. I thought Eno Benjamin played well. And this is where you know we kept joking about how many running backs they have. But James Conner hurt his ankle and they didn't miss – him no offense to James Conner but they didn't because I feel like Daryl Williams fills that role really well I was thinking about that too of oh man we were talking I was the one talking about huh when you got to make space for all these players come back off IR I don't know that Jonathan Ward and Daryl Williams are both on this roster but it seems that so far having all those running backs has paid off for them and they've needed that absolutely and I and I and again I think I think with Conner's history you you have to have that and so somebody asked in my mailbag this week, what's the plan this year for Keontae Ingram? I'm like, the plan is that unless there's a bunch of injuries, he's going to be inactive every game. That's what the plan's going to be. The, the plan is called Eno Benjamin is rookie year plan, yes. right? Yes. Uh, he's he's going to be around. He's going to be you know valued, but he's not going to be utilized Correct. very much. So, uh, yeah, Daryl Williams was impressive. There, there's no doubt. Zach Ertz got in in gear, yep. right? So, um, you know, that's in the – they actually dressed all four tight ends, right? Yes, but Trey McBride only had one snap, one offensive snap. snap. Okay. And, and actually, the other guys, Steven Anderson had the sec- second most tight end snaps, hmm. which doesn't shock me because I feel like at this point, after Max Williams and what he's been through, I'm thinking he's probably going to be mostly a blocker. And when you get down 20 to nothing, you don't need a lot of blocking tight ends. Yeah. And, and look, Steven Anderson has gone against the Raiders many times, his years with the Chargers, sure. so... And, you know, I know talking to him a little bit after the game, the respect he has for Max Crosby and just the mo- just the motor alone on Max Crosby is just crazy. His ability just to maintain that that sort of, especially when you're chasing around Kyler Murray. I mean, for 21 seconds, the Justin Pugh comment after the game was hilarious about how he saw uh, how the the Raiders the the look in their eyes as they're chasing around for 21 seconds. What DJ Humphrey said, he thought the play was over three times. And, and then he told Kyler afterwards, you ran 80 yards, I ran about 50. And uh, everyone needed a break after that. But if you hit zoom out, you know what I thought we also saw in Kyler Murray, at least versus like a Derek Carr. You saw one quarterback who has yet to reach his ceiling and another quarterback who has most definitely hit his ceiling. And, and really, it's one or the other in the NFL right now, right? You either have... I don't know, Kirk Cousins or you know Derek Carr or Ryan Tannehill, the, these quarterbacks who have most definitely hit their ceiling, only going to take you so far. Or you have someone like a Kyla Murray, a Tua Tonga-Valoa, after four fourth-quarter touchdown passes and a half dozen that game, what's his upside ultimately? Real quick, major props for nailing that name. It just, you look at, okay, which quarterback has upside still, like, the 49ers, for example, why would they have given up three first-round picks for Trey Lance? Because Jimmy G had hit his ceiling, right? You're only going so far, which is... I don't know if that's the best example well, right now, Paul. They screwed yeah. it up. I mean, they screwed it up. It's 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 a pending well, I, disaster by, no, by the actually, 49ers. Are you kidding? I, I think Lance. it worked out really well now. <laughs> sure, from the Cardinals' perspective, absolutely. No, but I mean, like, if you're the 49ers, the best thing that they did was keep that guy because now that Trey, if Trey Lance had gotten hurt, who was their who would their quarterback have been? Brock Purdy? You know, I'm not talking about keeping Jimmy G. I'm saying about mortgaging the future oh. for Trey Lance in the three not, first round I, picks. I don't know if he's the guy, but I'm not yeah. going to completely say. I I, I know that yeah, for a fact yeah. yet. Yeah, you, you seem like you already yeah. know that. No, well, I, once again, why did the Niners feel compelled to make that trade? Why did the Rams feel compelled to go after Matthew Stafford? I think it all comes back to the fact that the Cardinals had Kyler Murray. And they, those teams were looking into the future. They had Zoom out and they said at the time, Seahawks have Russell Wilson. 
Cardinals have Kyler Murray. We have Jared Goff and Jimmy G. That's true. Two somewhat limited quarterbacks. Although Russell Wilson's starting to look like he's hit his ceiling, yeah. too. Yes, indeed. Or at least headed downhill. So um, now, as for the week one quarterback of the defense, Isaiah Simmons, um, how about the comments from Cliff Kingsbury when he was asked, what was it again, Danny? Asked about whether it might be whiplash for Isaiah Simmons. That was the question of Isaiah Simmons was told, I guess, going into this game against the Raiders, his role was going to be diminished. He only played 15 snaps. He wasn't calling the defense. It was Zayvon Collins. And the fact that despite knowing that, according to Kingsbury, Isaiah still had a great week of practice, still went out there, did his job, and had made the game-winning play to punch that ball out from Hunter Renfro in overtime that Byron Murphy ended up scooping up and taking in the house. Yep. And somebody asked in the media and a press conference early in the week to Kingsbury of if the coaching staff worries about giving Simmons whiplash by having him over the years changing positions and then having him call the defense and have all these snaps and playing playing the whole game to then not calling the defense and only playing 15 snaps. And Kingsbury was like, well, I think maybe more like he's given us whiplash. Basically, he can be as good as he wants to be. It very was, high ceiling for him. It was a, it was a really I thought a very important quote. You know, Kingsbury said, you know, he's given off the whiplash, which of course he chuckled. He did, but that definitely but, raises an eyebrow. And he cut off the questioner a little yeah. bit too. Yeah, and and Kingsbury ended up saying he can be as good as he wants. I'll say that he knows that he knows that's how we feel about him. We've addressed it many times. I think it's a commitment to football all day, every day, and mm. being the best possible player you can be. You see the flashes. I think if you can do that consistently, day in and day out, the sky is the limit. Now, I that, think that is substantive. I agree, and I and I think we've seen we've seen more of that this year, and I don't think it's a an accident that the two people that it feels like Cliff has, I'm not going to say called out because. <laughs> We asked him about the other guy a little while ago, and he took offense that we would say he called him out, although he kind of did. How, how about identified? The two players he's, he's identified. identified. Linebacker Isaiah Simmons and cornerback Marco Wilson, who this happened in training camp, when he said at one point you know, that he needs to earn what he's got. And I think ultimately this is a story about two young players who walked in the door uh, Isaiah is a first-round pick, and Marco Wilson, because of circumstances, that ended up getting starting jobs very young. And I, it sure sounds like to me that as we've gone, they got a. I don't want to. They they got comfortable knowing that they had those roles and didn't want to necessarily put in the work that it would take to keep those roles. And and I think that's been the message from the head coach. Yeah, when he says we've addressed it many times, it's a commitment to football all day, every day. "Quote end quote." That that's now you understand why he's citing it in the media. Now you understand perhaps why they made the move after week one. It, it wasn't whiplash. It wasn't no. knee jerk. No, this was in the making that he was on double secret probation to some degree, and it was apparent from the get go when he wasn't in the game. And then you zoomed in with a camera from the sideline. You could see the green dot on the helmet of Zayvon Collins, so we confirmed it as such. And then the pattern throughout the game, at least until overtime, was those third down and passing situations. Isaiah Simmons would go in, obvious third and long, third and passing. But, you know, I, I think it sends a message. Do your job or you won't have a job. And ultimately, after you get dominated in week one against Kansas City, I do think a message needed to be sent. And... and there needs to be that level of accountability for everyone in the locker room. Just like a head coach has to hold the quarterback accountable, the franchise quarterback. And, and apparently, you hear the story in, in week one, the New York Giants, who are off to a surprise 2-0 start. And, and something apparently that resonated more than anything so far in Giants camp was when Brian Dable yelled at Daniel Jones on the sideline in the first half of the first game. And, and yelled at him to the fact of, you got to be better. You can't make that mistake. It's an obvious read, X, Y, and Z. you got to do that. you got to make that happen. No excuses. And Daniel Jones took it. He nodded. He said, yes, sir. And the whole sideline said, okay, we're all on a level playing field. Everyone's going to be held accountable. Even the number eight pick overall, Isaiah Simmons, is going to be held accountable. And, and when you don't do your job, then they're going to find someone else to do the job. And really, ultimately, that's the only way you motivate in pro sports is just job security. None of the other rah-rah stuff is going to work. So 
we'll see what sort of lasting impact that has. Because if it's just about commitment, that makes me feel a lot better about Isaiah Simmons. If it's just sort of making sure that it's not some sort of fatal flaw in his skill set or his game, it's just maybe staying focused as a young guy, which apparently was what Marco Wilson needed to do as well, dial in a little bit more. Yeah, I think that's... I agree with you. I think that is important, especially for young players, especially in the situations they were thrown into their rookie seasons early on in their career, Darren, like you were touching on. And you're right. I don't think anybody is necessarily untouchable. I think there are certain players where you probably don't need to have the same sort of discipline style with them, uh, like someone like a J.J. Watt or a Zach Ertz or an A.J. Green, right? Those longtime veterans. I think you approach that differently. But absolutely, I think not only two young players – TM players that they are in the future, the plan is to build this defense around. That that's why you're using Marco Wilson and you're you have Isaiah Simmons. That that's the goal is to develop these players and have them be your cornerstones of the defense. So absolutely I think if there is a concern at all about ego or cockiness or going in feeling like you're already set and you don't have to put in that work, absolutely you nip that in the bud early on. I think and the other thing too is you know, I don't <sighs> I don't even know if that's to have Cliff Kingsbury to say stuff publicly when he doesn't really like to tells me that, like you said, Paul, this has been an ongoing thing and this might be the last straw. Like, OK, we've talked about it internally and, you know, now I'm going to kind of put it out there and, and add just another layer here because we need to get this fixed. I, you know, that's that's kind of how I react to it. And I don't take that as a way of him being petty. Or anything like that. Yeah, I don't no, think no, that at all. No. Of, of him normally being private and him talking about no, this now. No, we're no, using no, no. that. No, no, no. I'm not saying you're yeah. implying that. I'm just saying for those listening, I don't see this as Kingsbury using this as any sort of leverage and well, how he's talked about Wilson or Simmons in that nature. Like, I don't see this as him being petty at all by talking no, no. about this when he normally doesn't. My point would be when I say he's talking about when he normally doesn't, my point is and I'm just throwing numbers out there. You've had this conversation with them. 10 times behind the scenes and it's not quite clicking. So we're now we're going to raise it a little bit more of a level. And when I'm asked about you for the 40th time, I'm going to make the point. And now for all we know, it was just the way it termed. I mean, let's face it. The, the question, are you afraid you're going to give this player whiplash as a coach that might, that might irritate me a mm-hmm. little bit. If I feel like I've, done everything I could to try and get this guy to where he needs to be and it's still not working and now and now you're going to put out there for public consumption that it's still on me because I'm trying to make this work and right. I, I can understand why you'd kind of react a certain way. Right, I just don't want, not that you were implying that at all, people to hear that and say, oh, Kingsbury's going out of his Look, way to talk trash about his players when that's no, not the case whatsoever. No, but I mean, coaches are people too. And I understand this and that and the other thing, but the reality is, and I've covered this for more than 20 years, eventually, if there's, you know, if two sides aren't quite seeing eye to eye for whatever reason, the the players are only going to, you know, it reminds me of the injury stuff when the coaches never want to say anything about the injuries. And after a while, the player who, if he starts looking super bad in public because the 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 coach wants to call him week to week and day to day for like six straight weeks when he knows he was never going to come back but he wants to try and hide it from the team well that makes the player look bad and eventually the player mm. starts to get a little irritated and he'll mm. pull you aside and say look and this feels like the other way around which is a little bit which is just like look we're uh, we're going to talk that you're this really good player and everything we're not going to put the dirty laundry out there but eventually you know you're you're going to have to be the one that you know, kind of deals with this a little bit more than just me saying he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Well, think about it. If, if I'm Cliff Kingsbury, let's role play for a minute, okay? And I, if there's one person I'll never be. a little taller there. I'll, I'll never be. We'll be Cliff Kingsbury. But if I'm the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals and the game is 17 nothing because Darren Waller just caught a touchdown pass on Zeke Turner when Isaiah Simmons, according to Vance Joseph the week before, said we drafted him to cover tight ends – but we can't play Isaiah Simmons because for whatever reason, they can't trust him in coverage or leverage or being in the right spot at the right time. And 
knowing his keys or whatever it is. I don't know. All I know is Zeke Turner's covering Darren Did Waller. Did you tweet or, at me on Sunday? Or Tanner Vallejo's covering Darren Waller. Or Nick Vigil. Or Joe Walker is covering Tanner Vallejo. I even go with a guy. Darren Washington. There's a guy who isn't even on the team anymore. And and so yeah, if I'm Cliff Kingsbury, I'm a little frustrated, a little bit. I wonder what that what that was. Is that looking back at week one of Simmons going up against Kelsey and watching the film, thinking that Simmons wasn't prepared enough? I, I'm wondering why. If that's the case, why don't you give him the chance to make up for that on I, Darren Waller? I think you answered. Question, I think but, you answered your question yeah. just by saying that. I think I think it would be naive to think that this was all based on week one. But you know what? Enough people make comments, without naming Isaiah per se, that certain players didn't have leverage correctly. So whereas you're supposed to have outside leverage that would force the tight end inside where you have help, that the leverage was to the inside, which allowed a Kelsey to get outside and thereby become wide open for yet another grab and route to over 100 yards receiving when all you had to do was line up correctly and know your leverage and where your help is behind you. And it's those little things in the NFL that become big things that lose you games. And I'm guessing they finally just didn't have the capacity for that anymore See, or the patience. And, and the thing is, and looking at this all big picture and, and the tweaks on defense and what ended up happening and... and Here's the thing. It's like when we got to halftime, and I was joking about the tweet, but everybody's like, well, if Zeke Turner is going to be out there giving up touchdowns to Darren Waller anyways, and we're going to be behind 17 nothing and 20 nothing, just put Isaiah Simmons out there. Let him learn. This is what you tweeted out? No, 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 no. This is what somebody people were tweeting you at me, with. Okay, which right. I, I understand okay. that. Okay, I understand I gotcha. the concept. Yeah. I can't right. argue it. Right. But that's, that's kind of where the Cardinals are right now. They come back. So now what do you do? Like, first of all, Vance is going to talk Thursday, and all we're going to hear is everything we do is on a week-to-week basis, and it's going to be based on a week-to-week basis, and we'll see what happens. But, you know, do you do you stay with some of the things that you feel like helped get you through the second half there? Did that include Isaiah Simmons? Does Isaiah Simmons now go back out against Tyler Higby this week? You know, this is a team that wants to desperately make the playoffs. And most of their roster is built that way. They have some young players they're counting on, but they're built to make a push for the playoffs. This is not a team that's saying we're two years away. So in that case, it's tough to just say, like you said, Paul, if you're not, if you don't feel comfortable with him out there and he isn't doing the little things, they're not going to put him out there. And you are going to see Tanner Vallejo, or in the case of how they started the other day, Tanner Vallejo was really in place of Nick Vigil. And it was Dennis Gardick playing the position that Isaiah Simmons mm. was playing the week before. Mm. Well, look, what's amazing, too, on Isaiah Simmons is the biggest question that we had or a lot of us had coming into his NFL career is actually now the biggest non-question. Can he hit? Is he physical enough? We wondered that, right? How many times the Wolf say, is he going to put his face in the fan, David? Well, yeah. He, he, he does. I mean, that hit on Hunter Renfro. Well, no, Hunter Renfro is like a buck sixty, but still, I mean, uh, you know, he delivered and he forced the fumble, and he doesn't hesitate. He 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 will bring it with velocity and force. Yeah, it's just can you count on him if you're Vance Joseph? And you know what? It makes sense in hindsight, looking at the clips that we put out on AZ Cardinal social media channels. We had so many great clips of that play and celebrations, and there was a shot. I I, I don't know what post it was put on. And you see Isaiah Simmons, and you see his teammates coming up to him, and they're you know hitting him in the chest, celebrating with him, and he's almost like stoic, like trying to hold back his emotions. He looks very emotional. And now knowing what we know, I feel like of the week he had in practice and being told what he was told and playing 15 snaps but still making that game-winning play, I think makes a lot of sense now of why he seemed so emotional, at least in that celebration. Well. And I, I was the first one to get a chance to talk to him after the game. And, you know, he said, I'm excited for the win and everything. But he he's clearly disappointed. Yeah, he, I was standing behind you. I think I got in just after you. Uh, and, yeah, his, his reaction was a little muted. He, he yeah. definitely was among those guys he's, who he's, didn't lose his mind exactly but in, in the locker room. I keep thinking to myself, and I'm glad Isaiah, it was a cool redemption story. If you're you're Zayvon Collins, you're happy you won and you played every snap, so he's got to be happy about that. But he could have been that guy. 
He knocked yeah. that ball loose yeah. the play before, and I thought yeah. for sure the Cardinals were going to fall yeah. on it. I don't yeah. know if they w- they weren't going to return it for a touchdown, but if you give the ball back to Kyler Murray, I truly believe the Cardinals go down and score. By the way, there was a young reporter. Were you still there when he started asking some questions um, of Isaiah Simmons? And he wasn't exactly doing it with a lot of a aplomb, if you will. He mm, was sort of like, mm. I missed that. He goes, mm, ah, so when did you know during the week you were benched? <laughs> I'm like... Okay, you could have maybe softened it up a little because right away Isaiah Simmons like, okay, dude, what? And you know, and so they, uh, he wasn't in a great mood. No. Uh, maybe that was actually yeah. <laughs> anyway. So there was that. <laughs> um, speaking of not being in a great mood, that's my segue to the stinking Rams. Here they come. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about Danny. Does everybody what? realize? Well, I'm not in a bad mood. Well, well, do you have internet? Excuse you. Do you have internet yet? Give me not. a couple hours, yeah. and hopefully you will know. <laughs> trust me, if if I show up tomorrow and I still don't have internet, you will be the first to know, Darren. Then we can talk about being in a bad mood. Yeah, that's true. Okay. So, Danny, you're, you're on a you're on a time clock here because you're in the dreaded window of between what you know. You got that window where they give you four hours. You have to be there the whole time. And I know you guys are being flex while recording this a little early, so I can get there on the front end, which means, of course, they're going to show up ten minutes yeah. before. It's scheduled. You know, they're supposed to We're be here there. for you, no, Danny. No. We're here for you. Thank you. Don't forget tell, that. Tell the cable guy just to hold it. We're cable? Recording. Yeah, whatever you're Paul. doing. Paul. I thought it was Cox. It isn't the Cox yeah, guy? Yeah, but I'm just doing internet. Who has cable anymore? Well, that's how they get the internet to your place is via cable, and then it's Wi-Fi from there, right? I thought you were okay. Anyway. I know Craig Grelu has cable. We were talking about that. I have cable. <laughs> oh, I have boy. Everything. Oh, I, boy. I probably could cover your Cut rent with everything I spent with all that Oh, stuff. is that an offer? No. Okay. I saw Greeley. I also have to pay car insurance for four people, including a 20-year-old, and it's it hurts bad. Yeah, don't, don't bring that up. I've got a 15-and-a-half-year-old with a with a learner's permit Oof. right now, so I'm in total denial about what's happening it to hurts. our car insurance in it about hurts. three months. Uh, all right, so beyond uh, Rams, Rams Grealu was me was spotted recently with a typewriter. By the way, I'm just saying. Uh, let's see, Aaron Donald is coming in, and I've Sean McVay. You realize Sean McVay is ten and one all time against the Arizona Cardinals. That's three different head coaches. You know, it's funny because they the Cardinals got that big win in L.A. last year, and you're like, eh, the streak yeah. is over. Yep, snapped you, an eight game skid. You play them two more times, and. I mean, mm-hmm. the game here was somewhat close. It wasn't super close. I never felt like it was as close as the final score, and obviously the playoff game was yeah. a playoff game. Yeah. So. Uh, and, and in the offseason, the head coach, Cliff Kingsbury, did attend Sean McVay's wedding. Uh, he did so as a double agent. Uh, if you talk to Cliff, he tried to get guys like Aaron Donald and Cooper Cup to retire. He, he worked the room at the reception, the wedding reception, said, hey, you got a ring now. You should just hang it up. Just call it a career. Apparently you know? he was close because apparently Aaron Donald <laughs> said he was going to retire and the yeah. Rams didn't turn in the paperwork. That's right. Cliff was instrumental in that. Uh, not quite enough, though, because they came back for big money. By the way, has anyone actually reported what Sean McVay is making after he leveraged the whole Amazon or, and or network TV gig to get a new coaching that. contract? You, you know we no, know? I honestly don't know. But I, uh, oh, you, it must have been a ton of money when he supposedly was going to get 10 to 12 a year just for TV. Yeah, but I mean... I, Maybe I'm not saying he's not making a ton of money, but at the same time, I'm like I don't think Sean McVay is ready to walk away at this point. All right, so TV will always be there, Paul. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. Of course, you know you go to TV and then your price goes up and you come back. Um, <coughs> Sean Payton, uh, at least that's what he's probably thinking right about now. Anyway, here come the Rams. I think they've won six in a row on Arizona soil. By the way, it could be seven. Right. It could be seven. I'm not exact. They're like the rest of SoCal. They come into the AZ and uh, they scoff at our housing prices. They buy up all the real estate. They just move right in, you know. So, uh, in the words of Kyler, post game, enough is enough. It's just it's got to stop. The home losing streak has to stop. This skid against the Rams has to stop. But it's not so easy because here comes Aaron Donald. And last year it was Week 14 when he had 14 quarterback pressures in a single game. <laughs> he basically had a whole season's worth of quarterback pressures in a single game. The dude is a wrecking ball. But, you know, when the Cardinals won last year in L.A. in Week 4, Aaron Donald didn't have a single sack, quarterback hit, or tackle for loss. Yeah. See, they shouldn't have made him mad. It just made him mad yeah, for the rematch. Off. <laughs> That's what it did. <laughs> But if it does, but Danny, once again, you're right because they ran it 40 times for 216, and they went right at him. If you have the ability to run the ball and come off the ball and go straight at 99, he's not the biggest dude. DJ Humphreys always tells a funny story in the Big Red Rage. The first time he saw Aaron Donald, he goes, "Ah, this dude's tiny. I'm going to smash him." And then they snap the ball, and he's like, "Uh oh, it's that motor, right?" He's like, "Wait a minute." So uh, if you can go right at him, if you have that ability. Now the question is. How much more stout at right guard are you? 
after right guard was a liability last year, in large part because of injuries. But you went out and got Will Hernandez. The who refrigerator. You, who you'd love to say at, say at the end of this game, his nickname, you want Will Hernandez's nickname at the end of the game to be the 99 neutralizer or something like that. Right? I just know that he didn't move when J.J. Watt hit him in training camp. So <laughs> right. Now, I, I think, look, I think it's going to be a fascinating thing. I think hopefully Rodney Hudson, who played much better in week two than yep. week one, uh, you got Justin Pugh, which made a huge difference at left guard. Yep. You got Will Hernandez. You've you you've got a nice interior offensive line, and you're right. It's all going to come down to can you continue to make Kyler comfortable. I thought Kyler looked really good in the pocket the second half. Um, now, Funny how that happens, by the way. When you're confident in your pass protection, yes. think of how much better you look in the pocket. Exactly. Mm. Now it didn't hurt that the Raiders' defense was getting tired, and it makes it tougher. But I, I, I agree with you. I, to me, that game in L.A. that they won last year was all about being able to ride Chase Edmonds and James Conner and control things. Now, they got a lead, which makes it a lot easier. And if they start this game like they've started the other two games, that's all going to go right the hell out the window. So it's good. And you already have that edge. We're already getting towards game day. I can tell you got that Rams edge about you oh, sure. right now, Darren. I, I I can tell over there. So I'm still kind of irritated that Danny thinks because I have cable, I'm a lesser human being. I didn't say lesser. I think you're just don't and, say it. Okay. You know what I'm thinking. Yeah, I know now. what you're thinking. <laughs> I know exactly what you're thinking. We're just in different age demographics, Darren, like Paul likes to point out. In fact, you know what? All right, let's illustrate that right now. What'd you do Saturday night in Vegas, Danny? <laughs> <laughs> Paul, isn't it time to wrap up? Oh, interesting. Hey, interesting. I showed up early, high energy, she ready did. to go on game day. My, I, t- I told Danny, as I told some other young people, young. I, I've said this all, all the way around. If you can't do the time, don't do the crime. If you can, it's all good. As long as you show up on game day, nothing else matters. Right, and I Danny? showed up. I you was did. there. I was up. ready to go. Good. You and did. and you went into Saturday night with good intentions. I'll give you that. It, I it was the thought that counts. The thought that counts that I was going to be into bed, tucked in early, wow. get lots of sleep. Okay. Saturday evening turned into Saturday morning. Is that what you're saying? Sunday morning? I yes. See. Yes, I it see. did. Sunday morning. I mean, but there are yes, no clocks yes. anywhere in yeah. Vegas, Paul. It's he, not you, my fault. You notice he never brings up what him and Wolf were doing on the strip, so. Yeah. You were out they there. Were taking, they were taking every one of those business cards you get while you're walking oh, along, along the street. <laughs> no. No. We did find a place to watch the fight, which was incredibly boring, by the way. Triple G. I didn't, somebody would have told me that Triple G was 40 years old before the fight. I would have, I would have known. I wouldn't have shown up. Dude, uh, dude didn't have it. I mean, come on, what's I wish going I was on over there? Years old. You know, oh my gosh, that's uh, all right. So there Wait, you go. You didn't get tickets. That was right there. Tickets? Couldn't you no. just gone and no. gone to the T-Mobile Arena and just been no. there? We were lucky to find a big screen. Are you kidding me? It's uh, it is an interesting town, though, is it not? The whole. Uh, yeah. I mean, you see a lot of Phoenix thirty years ago in 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 Vegas, don't you? In some ways, don't you see like you know Phoenix like twenty years ago as a desert city, sort of evolving a, a, and... a, a certain extent. I mean, it's tough to get past the giant pyramid or the <laughs> fake Eiffel Tower, but I mean, yeah, right. yeah, you know, so. the dancing fountains. Yeah. I didn't see any of that in Phoenix. So okay, all right, there we go, Danny. Uh, you've got an appointment to make. So oh, let's hope so. So uh, we'll see. I mean, you'll be an actual uh, citizen. Uh, you know, I mean, how can you be in the 18 to 34 demo and not have Wi-Fi, right? I know. Yeah. You're telling me, Paul. Yeah. So okay, it's okay. I got. I got a story. We, we had news break while we were on the air that oh. uh, the Cardinals signed Devon Kennard to the active roster. So I got to go write right. that. Well, that was inevitable because you can only pull him up three times yes. during the year from the practice Correct. squad, right? It was inevitable. Okay, there you go. Uh, full circle on Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation.